Wednesday, December 2nd, uh, it is freezing in Tennessee. I don't know uh, what it's like in South Carolina, but fortunately, we've got my co-host, Josh Kendall, here to talk about it. I'm your host, David Ubbin. Lots to talk about here on uh, Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC football podcast. We should start in your neck of the woods, Josh. South Carolina still on the search for a coach. What, what's the latest there? South Carolina is about in the same place that they were the last time we talked, this time last week. Shane Beamer is still the leader for the job. They're knocking out, you know, five or six other interviews. Um, I don't think that a minority candidate is a serious consideration, but they they will have to um, interview one. So they're kind of going through the process, but it looks like Shane Beamer is going to be the guy um, Neil Brown has come out publicly and said he's not a candidate. Scott Satterfield still is lurking out there. They've been trying to get a, a face-to-face with Billy Napier. That's been complicated by his COVID di- his COVID test, but he's still in the mix as well. But Shane Beamer remains out front of the race. How do you think fans would react to that, to that hire? Are they excited about Shane Beamer? Some will get excited about Shane Beamer. It's, 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 you know, nothing exists in a vacuum. If your candidates for this job were Shane Beamer or Urban Meyer, you know, nobody would be happy if you ended up with Shane Beamer. But that's not where South Carolina is right now. Hugh Freeze is not a real, real significant candidate for this job. Mm-hmm. Even if he were, he comes with the kind of baggage that would make some people in the fan base not very excited. So, I think that, you know, as much as much as anybody in this race, Shane Beamer will be able to rally the troops from a fan base perspective. And as much of that is just something that we talked about last week, which is he really wants to be here. He really talks about how good a job this is. He has really laid a lot of groundwork for a long time with the South Carolina quote-unquote people about how this is the job he wants. So I think he'll be embraced from the start because of that. But, it, I'm, you know, it's not going to be a long leash because he is an unproven commodity yeah you know it's interesting you know you mentioned you know that there's not a lot of minority candidates being considered here and the one thing that i hear a lot in that respect is well there's not that many uh you know minority coordinators out there which sort of speaks to a lot of the pipeline issues but it is interesting to me which guys you know people are willing to take a chance on people are willing to dig a little deeper on and and you know i think certainly shane beamer sort of fits that that mold of a guy that hey we like this guy. We're going to take a chance on this guy, even if on paper, you know, people outside South Carolina might not get it. And and you know, I think that's sort of one of the ways that that some of these issues come up in college coaching. It's how you get what now we have thirteen, uh, you know, non-white coaches in one hundred and thirty uh, schools. And you know, there's a fine line between taking somebody seriously and and tokenism, which is a little bit condescending, I think. Um, no but you know, it's. It's always interesting to see which which guys get to reach in the bag a little deeper for. When you look over at Vanderbilt, who who would you, who do you think is a good fit for them? Still in the early stages, our our column or our our, our, our uh, colleague Joe Rexroad wrote about Will Healy. There's some mutual interest there. What what would you like to see Vandy do? I think Will Healy is a fine choice. I think Clark Lee makes a ton of sense if he's interested. You know. 
this is what somebody's going to have to explain to me. There are a lot of reasons. I mean, there's a long list of reasons that I will never be a titan of industry, no matter the industry that it is. But somebody's going to have to explain to me why Vanderbilt is not maybe the best coaching job in the SEC. They just kept Derek Mason around for eight years, in, and it took an 0-8 season to get him out of there. You live in Nashville. You're still going to get paid between two and three-plus million dollars. That's a great job. I don't know why folks wouldn't be banging down their door. But, again, that's one of the things that separates me from them. I think Will Healy's a good hire. I think Clark Lee's a good hire. Could you see somebody like a Jeff Munkin? You know, that would irritate the mess out of Robert Caslin at South Carolina who's kind of wants to hire Jeff Munkin here. <laughs> bring bring in an option guy, somebody to do something different. I just think Vanderbilt's a great job, and I would think that they would have a long list of really good candidates. You know, it's not like you know we've talked about this. There's, there's not a huge, you know, there's not a ton of guys out there that you say that's going to be a home run hire. But I think that there are a lot of guys out there who can do the job. It's just a matter of identifying the guy, giving them the right support system, and you know, away we go. Yeah, you know, I've I've always thought. The schools that have so many things working against them, uh, Vanderbilt, you know, I thought Kansas for a long time should do this, where you're always going to be at a talent disadvantage with, you know, the majority of, if not all, of your conference opponents. And I like the curveball angle. I, I think those schools should have gone to the triple option a long time ago. It really helped Georgia Tech in the SC or in the ACC for quite some time. I, I just think that's that's your best chance for success. Uh, is doing that you know for every James Franklin there's you know 500 Bobby Johnsons you know and I think that's trying to do the same things as everybody else with with worse talent this doesn't really make sense uh, when you sketch it out on paper I think you got to do something different Um, so if I'm in the Vandy driver's seat I'm looking real hard um, at, at the triple option and making people prepare and care for Vanderbilt because they don't right now nobody does um, but you can surprise some people if people aren't prepared well. Um, people haven't seen you um, for very, you know, very often, especially if you start getting some of those crossover games. And from a West. spectator stand, from a spectator standpoint, that's a lot of fun. I mm-hmm. speak as a, as a guy who covers South Carolina and covered Georgia for a while. And at both of those schools, an option team rolls around about every year. At Georgia, it was Georgia Tech. For South Carolina, it's the small state schools that they mix in the Waffers, the Citadels, etc. That's a ton of fun. I mean, it's not a ton of fun for your defensive coordinator, but it's a little <laughs> – int- I mean, it's it's a fun game to watch. It's a stressful game to watch, but it's a fun game to watch. I, I, I think an, an option team in the SEC would be a ton of fun. Yeah. I, so I – South know, Carolina fans, by the way, are screaming right now, please, Lord, not us, please, Lord, not us, please, Yeah, Lord, I don't us. know that South Carolina should get there. I think they can be a little bit more, uh, more competitive. I don't know that I'd see that as a good fit at South Carolina, but – the Kansas is the Vanderbilts, um, you know, those places that have historically, you know, spend a lot more time with, you know, three and four win seasons than they do nine or ten win seasons. I, I don't know what you're losing there, and I think you, you're more likely to do that and start living in the in the six and seven win season range, maybe five to seven wins, than you are doing anything else. Uh, so I, if I'm Vanderbilt, I'm, I'm looking in that direction. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen that get a little bit more – uh, attention, um, I suppose. Vanderbilt has to decide what it's going to be. Vanderbilt's yeah. going to have to decide, do we want to really compete, quote-unquote, compete 
I think that's setting the bar too high. I don't think that that's attainable, and I think that they're they're chasing, you know, fool's gold, and it hurts them and everybody else in the league. I'm I'm with you. Let's say, all right, it's okay to be Vanderbilt. It's okay that we're super smart and we do a ton of really good things. Let's be interesting in football. Let's be competitive. Let's be us and not try to be everybody else. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, looking around... At the rest of the SEC, Josh, I'm going to ask you a question. The coaching carousel is starting to spin a little bit. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm amazed that we were all naive enough to believe that a global pandemic could slow it down, especially in the SEC. It does not appear that that is going to be the case. Maybe in some isolated situations, but a big picture, I think this looks a lot like a normal year. But in the SEC, my question to you is, over-under, do you believe there'll be more or less than 1.5 additional coaching changes in the SEC uh, in addition to Vanderbilt and South Carolina? Give me the over. I, you know, I was at the front of the wrong line most of the season about this as well, but now I've, com- you know, I've got done a complete 180, and I'm imagining these poor big-money boosters who have been sitting at home for nine months on their hands on their giant piles of money haven't been able to fire anybody in any walk of their life you know they're as stressed <laughs> out as the rest of us they they are as bummed out as the rest of us as stir crazy as the rest of us and they're sitting there watching their football teams just get their head beat in and they're about to explode so you know if i can borrow a baseball term i feel like jeremy pruitt's got a magic number against florida this week i mean is it 60 you know, when Ole Miss got to 59 on a just a busted play with Lane Kiffin sprinting down the sideline in, in Oxford, that was kind of the nail for Will Muschamp. Is there a similar number for Jeremy Pruitt against the Gators? Because we saw what they did against Georgia, which is, you know, this same Saban impersonation defense that Georgia, that Tennessee plays, that South Carolina plays, et cetera, et cetera. What's Jeremy Pruitt's magic number? You know, I don't know that there is one against Florida. I think the fan base is just bracing for how bad is this going to be. Um, I think you know, fifty or even sixty. I don't know that would really move the needle. I think it's 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 kind of about Vandy, which is a little weird. If they get blasted by, if it's about Vandy, fire Jeremy Pruitt. Right I now. don't disagree with you on that. Period. Front. I don't disagree with that. But if they get blasted by Florida and A and M, their last two games, and then if God forbid they lose to Vandy, uh, a now coachless Vandy team. Um, or they're struggling with Vandy, a team that lost by 41 points to Missouri last week. It's going to be a, a tough offseason because I think, you know, they're having to do what every school is having to do. South Carolina wrestled with this. We talked about this. It's going to cost around $19 million to make a change. And then you got to hire a new staff, which you know Tennessee is obviously going to want to uh, spend money on that. Hugh <coughs> Freeze, sorry. <laughs> yes, but I think you have to answer the question: 
is it more expensive to keep him or get rid of him? And I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, I, I think every school has to figure that out. Um, but I know this, apathy is really setting in. Jeremy Pruitt has a very small amount of believers. There's not a lot of excitement around the program. Um, because, you know, again, you know, I think this was something that I've written about and talked about over the last, you know, two-something years in Tennessee football. Is It's one thing to be bad. It's another thing to be boring and bad. And, you know, I wrote about the offense at The Athletic on uh, Tuesday this is not really fun football. There isn't a lot of like memorable moments that Tennessee has had uh, over the last few years. You know, this is a program that seems to want to run the ball and play defense, and they're not particularly good at either thing. And that that's you're preaching never to good. the choir. You're preaching to the choir with South Carolina people, and this is one of the problems of trying to you know do a mini Alabama all over the league. It's 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 blown up in a lot of people's faces. I think. Yeah. So from the fan perspective. You know, the fans are kind of kind of out at this point. You got to – if he can – honestly, if he can win these last three games, he, he, he would win a good chunk of them back. Um, that if is in about 300-point font. I think it's currently in the billboard over my desk. It's the size of that if. But that's probably what it would take um, to really get people more excited about Tennessee football because they've seen a lot of bad football over the last year and a half. And I think, too – you know, you look in retrospect, that winning streak now, I think, what, four of those coaches are fired? <laughs> Joe Moorhead is out. Derek Mason is out. Um, Will Muschamp is out. Uh, there's a lot of those guys that are no longer there, and it, it really does lessen the value of that winning streak, which, you know, didn't have didn't have a ranked team on it. Um, and, of course, it got him a, a contract extension that certainly raised his buyout. So that's the question Tennessee fans uh, or Tennessee's administration, rather, has to answer is what's more expensive, keeping him or firing him? And, uh, you know, that the answer to that question, or answering that question, I should say, is above my pay grade. So, you know, that's the, that's the decision that they are going to have to make. Uh, hear in, hear in, me in, out on this in one. Tennessee, where... Hang on. Fans are depressed. <laughs> I, I, got, I, got a, I got another theory here. Speaking of Vegas odds, give me the Vegas odds on this. Tennessee loses these next two which i you know from my perspective is kind of a given they get that vandy game back on the schedule that's clearly the make or break moment what are the odds that hugh freeze flies in in the dark of night (laughs) and starts game planning for the commodores i mean that's the pro move right we've seen this work from the other perspective where the administrators fly in the dark of the night to interview the candidate so i've got hugh freeze sneaking in to the Vandy complex with spending all week there with a cot and game planning for the volunteers to get himself that job I mean it's a, <laughs> you got to admit there's some genius there I like it I must say the sleeper cell angle is not something that I had considered but I think that you might have something there Rex um, Road's gonna need to Rex Road's gonna need to camp out at Vandy that week just like to that. make sure speaking of um shenanigans Josh, I looked over at the ACC this week and I saw some some canceled games and some some paths to the playoff that that got cleared a little bit for uh, Notre Dame and Clemson, and it looks to me, Josh, like the ACC is trying to maximize the odds that they have two teams in the playoff uh, and make sure that one of those teams doesn't stumble down the stretch. If you are uh, maybe not Jimbo Fisher because he's got to get some style points, even though I don't know that that's going to help him much. But if you are Dan Mullen, 
or you are Nick Saban, did you place a call to Greg Sankey this week and say, "Hey, uh, can we cancel some games?" You know, the Iron Bowl's in the back, uh, in the rearview mirror. Um, A&M doesn't really have a rival in the SEC, so it doesn't really matter who they play. But hey, uh, or Florida um, as well. Hey, do you want to cancel some games and just uh, you know, let's fast forward this thing to the SEC title game? I think no, and it's certainly not because I think the SEC is above Shady, because I think the SEC invented Shady in college football. That is where they live. But I just don't know that the the teams that are in the mix, A, need protecting from anybody. What are you protecting Alabama from? LSU? Come on. I mean, that's only a scrimmage. Florida kind of needs to play Alabama, I think, even if they lose, I think they're going to lose. But I think they need to they need to have that game, score a bunch of points to get into that conversation. And as you say, Texas A&M has just got to get that number on the left as high as it can. They got to play as many games as they possibly can because we've heard the committee, we've heard the committee chair last night say, you know, we've got to, you know, we are we are factoring in the fact that Texas A&M could be playing several more games than Ohio State, and that'll be a factor. So. I say no only because it does not serve the SEC's self-interest, not because the league is above shady. It's a, it was a weird move. In a season with, with no rules where everything is made up uh, every single week, uh, that was a move I don't think I saw coming, I have to say. <laughs> the, uh, odd. Odd, to say the least. Um, you know, Josh, you were uh, you were not a huge Jimbo A&M backer to start the season and here they are sitting here in the top five I don't think they're is A&M one of the five best teams I'm not sure but their path to the playoff is relatively obvious and they got that breakthrough season that they needed what do you make of of Jimbo um you know proving the the doubters wrong here in year three well you you might assume that I am here for a mea culpa to say that I was wrong and I should not have essentially hinted that Jimbo might just be cashing checks and mailing it in at this point. However, you would be wrong. This is my theory for you today. This is a blip year for Texas A&M. This is a year where they have taken advantage of an LSU that just, you know, went completely in the drain and as soon as it has a new defensive coordinator <coughs> will Muschamp. no i'm sorry that that i'm just i'm just <laughs> throwing stuff i'm just recklessly throwing things against the wall we'll be right back with its four and five star starting lineup and be fine next year the aggies will not have kellen mond i think that this is a blip year for the aggies and they better enjoy it your thoughts well, I guess I'll put my professor up in uh, mortarboard on, I guess is what we would be wearing right now. Uh, I'd say somewhere in the middle there. I don't know that this is the breakthrough of, a- of A&M joining Alabama as you know the perennial playoff contender. There's something to be said for a little bit of a perfect storm there. Um, but for as much attention as LSU's uh, defense has gotten this year, the offense isn't exactly setting the world on fire. They're missing Joe Brady. Uh, I heard all offseason. Oh no, you know, you know, Steve Ensminger is, you know, is he's the next person that says, yeah, the next person that says Steve Ensminger was was LSU's offensive yeah. coordinator last year <laughs> needs to leave the room. You are out of the chat. 
Yeah, he was You're calling eliminated. a lot of these plays, and you know we got we got Bo Pelini back, and uh, you know, the, and before the season, uh, Ed Orgeron actually said the words, "Our defense is better than last year," which it wasn't even it wasn't even that great last year. It was pretty average, if not below average. But but it's not better. It is not Whisper. better. <laughs> and I think that that's interesting to me that we've really glossed over how bad the LSU offense is. I mean, they I mean that that A and M game was was rough to watch. Um, you know what they put up three against Auburn, not 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 good stuff. Um, so I think the Aggies are still capable of being that number two team. Maybe not next year, but more years than not. I think losing Kellen Mond will be big. But you know, uh, our friend Bud Elliott over at Twenty Four Seven Sports, you know his blue chip ratio. I'm a big believer in it. A and M's right there. A and M is right there, and the quarterback will be missed. But I think the structure around Jimbo, the structure inside the program, the talent, the uh, – I can't believe I'm going to use this word – the culture and infrastructure. I like what A&M has right now um, more than probably what LSU has. And so I, I am going to I'm gonna give you a B-minus on this because I Boom. think it, you could be right. And I don't think that we're going to see a 10-2, 11-1 season next year without Kellen Mond. But I think we're going to see the Aggies sit in that second slot, maybe being a thorn in, a, in Alabama's side occasionally, possibly, theoretically, more often than we see them slide down to the, the bottom half of the West. I mean, I, I'm rooting for, d- despite my take here, I'm rooting for Texas A&M to be good. I think that the league would be much more interesting if Texas A&M reached its full potential, which I think we both agree is great and really was a sparring partner for Alabama every year. Yeah. I have just become, you know, kind of numb to it after, you know, kind of secretly hoping for it since the Aggies joined the league. Um, you know, I, m- maybe if Texas implodes, you know, they're sort of or, – or implode is too strong a word. But if Texas's slow descent continues and, and Texas A&M can take advantage of that – and you know, start pulling from there as well. Maybe they get there, and I and I hope and I hope they do. But I don't think they will. Also, you know, what if Kellen Mond returns to the SEC? You know, you know, in theory, everybody could return. I mean, he could be like the first nine-year player in the SEC. That dude has been here forever. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold my hold my breath on that. But I do think the Aggies this weekend. You know, they've got Auburn. Uh, a chance to maybe put some style points up if you can play really well. But I'll tell you the one thing that A&M should be keeping an eye on right now. If you listen to Gary Barta, uh, the playoff chair on on uh, Tuesday night, it sounds like if Ohio State is sitting there at 4-0 and they don't have a lot of games, there might be another spot in that playoff. I don't know that the committee would do it. I don't know that they would do it. But it sounds like, you know, the number of games was a factor, and A&M almost got that four spot this week um, ahead of Ohio State. When it comes down to brass tacks, the very final ranking, if, if uh, they're sitting there at, at uh, 4-0, they don't get to qualify for the Big Ten championship game, but they're still Ohio State. They've still got you know Justin Fields and all those dudes. It's not impossible. So it's A&M impossible. All of a sudden, Let, it's impossible. Let me stop you right there. A and M all of a sudden has no, a second round no, to that, this is a that nice, playoff. This is a nice theory. We, you know, we can come up with some options for for sort of 
humiliating or whatever things that I have to do that if Ohio State is not in the playoff. And I'm willing to agree to almost any of them. You know, they can sit there on Tuesday night and say, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to skip to the end. Ohio State's in the playoff. Period. <laughs> Mark it down. They could, you know, at 3-0, and Ohio State is in the playoff. Coming out of training camp, the Buckeyes were in. Period. Now, I'll prove, see this. Prove me wrong, committee. Yeah. Now, I'll see this. I, I think Ohio State is a better team. I think Ohio State probably would be a better playoff contender. But if I'm sitting there and I'm wearing my maroon and I'm, I've got my thumb up and I'm just gigging things left and right, I'm a little salty. If I'm made up sitting there at 9-1, and one, my only loss is to Alabama, albeit a convincing one. I've beaten Florida. That's certainly a better win than, than Ohio State has. And Ohio State gets in there at 4-0. and oh, There's a good case there that that is some nonsense. Now, Ohio State, a better team than A&M. I don't disagree with this. Um, a team that I think would be more competitive in the playoff. But at some point, you got to win your way in. And if I'm A&M and I get left out for a 4-0 and Ohio State team, I'm going to be real, real furious. And right or wrong, I think A&M has got a case to, uh, to set some things on fire, if that's the case. Well, Aggie fans, I'm just going to br- just brace yourself now. Just start start processing it right now because that train is coming down the track. <laughs> At least now they have a second theoretical small window into the playoff. Right now, it is it, it exists solely if, if Notre Dame can give Clemson a second loss, which it might happen. You never know. Not they, impossible. They played without them. Actually, actually, I'm beginning to think that that's not impossible. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, but now, this Ohio State sort of backdoor into the playoff, you know, at least you got a second road that doesn't, um, you know, revolve around Notre Dame beating a team that has as much talent as any and the best player in college football, Trevor Lawrence, um, throwing the ball around. So, Aggies, uh, enjoy the next three weeks. It's going to be a long three weeks for you. Uh, Trying to sort of uh, break through a brick wall that doesn't really want you in. And uh, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. The Ohio State is our. The Ohio State might not make the playoff. People can join the Steve Insminger was LSU's offensive coordinator <laughs> last year. People in the, uh, I'm not hearing it, pile. Sorry. All right. All right. Hey, uh, that's where I am. Okay. I I respect it. I uh I am really excited for a four and Ohio State versus nine and one A and M debate. If only because we get these two fan bases at each other, which are two of the biggest and angriest fan bases out there. So, if nothing else, that'll make that that last 24 hours of the season interesting. Well, we'll put the Aggies to bed and uh, keep an eye on the SEC the rest of this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. You can hear me and uh, Mitch Light tomorrow looking ahead to the SEC slate and uh, debating a few other things. Um, Again... If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can change that. Theathletic.com slash grits. Make sure to uh, do that, and you can access all of our um, college football team, our SEC team, and every other sport that you care about. We've probably got you covered. Uh, So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow.